0: Well, happy kickoff Sunday, and welcome to the start of a brand new ministry season. Did that clip bring back any memories for any of you? Oh, man. There was a day when that whole spin move that he did within the glasses thing, there was a day that wasn't ironic. That would make young ladies' hearts swoon, and I tell you, times have changed. Times have changed. Well, today is a uh, part one of a brand new teaching series that we're calling Growing Pains, Here's the backstory for this series. A whole lot of the credit for the series goes to one of our members. His name's Dave Hansen. Dave has served as an elder at our church. He is now on our PRC, our Pastoral Relations Committee. And I love to spend time with Dave. Um, I love downloading as much of his wisdom as I can possibly receive. So quick Dave story. Um, I'm now at the age, talk about growing pains, I am now at the age where a man's physicals get a little more personal and uh, somehow over the course of one of my conversations with Dave it came up that I was about to have a colonoscopy my first and we started with two and two together um, we realized that I was going to have that very personal procedure at a place called MNGI which is the same multi-site digestive health care center that Dave works for so we're talking Dave pulls up his app And he says, which of the locations are you going to be at? I said, Vadness Heights. He says, oh, he says, what day? I told him what day he says. Oh, he says, what time? I said, the time he says, oh, he was going to be at the exact same clinic at the very same time that I was about to have that very personal procedure now for the record there is no one I would rather trust with my colon cancer screening than uh, Dave but I'm very glad to to have found out that he was only there to meet me in the recovery room he wasn't there for that uh, very particular uh, moment we didn't share that moment well anyway from <laughs> from time to time what Dave will do he'll send me a really helpful article and there there was a, a day it was quite a while back I think it was a couple of years ago he sent me an article from the Atlantic Magazine with the headline, here's the headline, the nuclear family was a mistake. That was the headline. And that's the look that I had when I saw that too. I'm like, where are you going with this? Now, it took me back a little bit, but because it came from Dave, I'm like, okay, there's a reason why he's sending this to me. So I gave it a read. And before we talk about the content of the article, if you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this, this down. Was the nuclear family a mistake? Well, this article um, was one of many. If you go out there and and look for the type of content I'm about to tell you here about, you're going to find a whole lot of things that are written about this, spoken about this. Um, I just listened to a podcast actually this morning. We film on Tuesdays this morning. I listened to a podcast, and here's the gist of what they're getting at behind these provocative titles. The idea that a nuclear family, meaning mom, dad, and kids, The idea that that would begin to become something that we would isolate ourselves around is an idea um, that is really particular more to modern society, especially in the United States. The idea that we would attempt as nuclear families to be self-sufficient is really an idea. They're saying that does not set us up for success. If you try to do family in isolation, if you try to be self-sufficient... For one reason, there's just not enough hours in a day to do everything that's required for a family. Or enough money in the bank, you could say, too. There's not enough time or money to care for one another, to keep up with all the household chores, or to meet all the demands if you try to do it yourself. Caring for your house and everything in it, caring for your property and everything on it, purchasing, preparing, and cleaning up from meals, that's a full-time job right there. Health care, dental care, mental health, child care, education, sports, recreation, meaningful and enriching activities. The list is endless. So here's the thing too, in some of these articles and some of these people are talking, they're saying, so what do we do, we outsource it. Well, when you start to outsource all these things, hiring the coaches, hiring all these people, then all of a sudden your relationships are almost all transactional rather than connectional. And not only that, now your relationships are all spread out from all of these different organizations, departments, and people. This summer, actually right here at the studio, we were a host site for the Global Leadership Summit. And one of the keynote speakers, her name is Liz Bohannon, we're going to circle back to her at the end of this message, she had some sobering stats at what's happening when we as nuclear families start to isolate ourselves more and more and more and try to take on everything ourselves. More than half of Americans, more than half of Americans, about 60% of Americans report high levels of loneliness. 60% of Americans. And it goes up teenagers? It's about 80%. 78% of American teenagers reporting high levels of loneliness. This is significant. They made, st- they made them connections here in the medical field. In fact, Dave brought this up way before I heard Liz talking about this. Loneliness, having high levels of loneliness, it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's the the, the toll that it takes on your health. Well the way that we isolate and then attempt to be self-sufficient as nuclear families in the United States today. It's a relatively modern thing, and it's much more of a Western thing. In fact, it probably doesn't surprise any of you who've been a part of other cultures and traveled to other cultures where even among teens, loneliness levels drop to 20% in some of these countries, including industrialized ones. Not drop by 20%, drop to 20%. Because so many more of these nations, they try to do life more together. For thousands of years, people have been attempting to find different ways of, okay, how do we share some of the weight? How do we share some of the load? How do we be more connected? And the ways people have tried this have been from the extremes of, all right, we're all going to be all in. Like, nobody owns anything. We're all in this together. From that extreme down to just, hey, we're trying to live more intentionally. We've seen over the centuries, we've seen just about every combination you can find. And if you know people... It won't surprise you to know that none of these on any part of the spectrum gets it perfect. Why? Because it involves people. And because people are not perfect. So there is not one perfect utopian system. There's not the right balance of how do you do this thing. Nobody's figured this out. But I think all of us intuitively sense we were designed to do more of life together than many of us do. And to try to figure some of that out. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down too. What if we did less of our lives on our own? What if instead of trying to shoulder all that weight, what if we tried to figure out some ways where we could come alongside each other to support and, and encourage each other? What if we tried to do more of our lives as a community? Well, this is a series about that. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down too. Scripture casts a vision for a church family. That is not a phrase we made up. That is not something we just try to to come up with. Scripture casts a vision for an extended family that's made up of men and women, young and old, married and single and widowed and orphaned and separated and divorced. And in each week of this series, what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on a particular age group. We're going to spend next week talking about kids, The week after that, talking about the teen years. The week after that, the adulting years. We're also going to be talking about the retirement years and the final stages of life years. And it's our hope that all of us, all of us, at some point in this series, all of us are going to see seen. All of us are going to be known. All of us are going to feel valued. It's also our hope throughout this series that every one of us is going to come away with, yes, Every age has challenges. And also, every age has opportunities. And at every age, there are things that we can do together to try to be there to encourage and support one another. Well, we got a whole lot of great practical content in the weeks ahead for all of us. But let's make sure that we're building on the right foundation. So we're going to start with Scripture here. And let's look at what Scripture says about a church family. Let's start here. The New Testament both affirms and expands on the Old Testament. Emmanuel is a church that believes that the New Testament does not replace the Old Testament. The New Testament builds on the Old. Can I get an amen to that? The, the, they build on the Old. All right, let me show you how this translates when it comes to the notion of family. If you have your Bible with you, let's open up to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read uh, verses 26 through 28 here to start. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to go right now, hit pause, go to Bible.com. You can download a free Bible app there. It's an outstanding resource. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 1. Let's start with verses 1 through 26. So this is right at the beginning as God is creating the world. And God said, let us make man in our image at our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them and God blessed them and God said to them all right zone in here this is key to making some connections here that are to come be fruitful and multiply and And fill the earth and subdue it, so that you may have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, so God creates the world. And then God gives special instructions to the very first man, the very first woman. He says, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, go have lots of babies and these babies are going to go all over the world and they're going to be my representatives on earth. All right, let's jump ahead then to verse 31. So God is done now creating the heavens and the earth, and here's what he says. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. So Old Testament, man and woman created, have lots of babies, babies are going to go over and be God's representatives. Was that a good thing? Is that something that God affirms? Yes. Did Was the nuclear family a mistake? No, it wasn't. But what we tend to do with that, now that's where this gets interesting to see where scripture goes. All right, if we go then, continuing on in the Old Testament, if you go to Genesis 12, let's turn there, Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. This whole idea of us continuing to multiply physically and go be God's blessing, that that continues on through the Old Testament. Take a look at this. Chapter 12, verses one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, whose name later gets changed to Abraham, go from your country. Remember this language here. Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And to him who dishonors you, I will curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So here this theme continues on. This continues to be the primary emphasis now from this point through the Old Testament that when it comes to God's family, they are of the line of of Abram, whose name is later changed to Abraham. So this theme continues. But now let's watch what happens in the New Testament. Look what happens. When we flip to the New Testament, if you want to go to Matthew now, Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. This is now the New Testament. Jesus has arrived on the scene, and look what he says when he's asked a question. Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. While Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside, asking to speak to Jesus. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And then, stretching out his hand towards the disciples, he said here are my mother and brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother who did jesus in this passage refer to as his mother his brothers sisters those who do the will of his father consider the impact of those words now there's a whole lot of similarities in both cases old testament new with Abram, with, with what Jesus is saying here, there's a covenant, right? There's a covenant. I mean, Abram was to go, leave his people, follow God's ways. Jesus is saying here, hey, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. So there's still a covenant, but isn't it? And I want to actually build on that just a little bit more. Isn't it interesting to see how these themes are reflected in the New Testament? If we go a little bit further, Matthew 19, verse 29, remember the language that was given to Abram? Look at how the language is still there in the New Testament. And anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Now, if you were to look at that verse just in isolation without looking at all the rest, that could seem like, hey, wait a minute, is, is Jesus taking this nuclear family and diminishing its role? And he's not. After reflecting on these passages, I see some layers here. And one of the layers is that whole parallel with what was said to Abram, to Abraham. There's real similar language being used there. Go from your country, go from your kindred to your father's house, that land will show you. And again, to be clear, you continue to read in the New Testament, there is not a replacement of the nuclear family happening here or a rejection of it. I don't think it gets much clearer than this. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. If anyone does not provide for who? His relatives. Especially for the members of his household, He has denied the faith. He is worse than an unbeliever. So is caring for your family affirmed in the Old Testament and the New? Yes. And this whole idea of family gets expanded. It's now expanded. As are the instructions of how the expanded family is to multiply. Take a look at this. These are very familiar words. We come back to them a lot because they're so key to understanding so many things. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. So now it's not just go make lots of babies. Now it's what? Go and make disciples. Who can make disciples? Everyone. Everyone. All ages it 's not just limited to a very narrow age it 's not just limited to people who are married it's all of us. This great commission is for all of us, married, single, widowed, orphan, separated, divorced, all of us. The Great Commission now expands the multiplication mandate. In fact, as you continue to read, we did this not too long ago when we were in another series. Singleness is now highly affirmed in the Old, in the New Testament. In fact, you got Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul, serving as models. The Great Commission is something that all of us are commissioned to do at every age, regardless of whether or not you're married. And as the New Testament continues, now we see a bunch of imperfect people now trying to figure this out through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in the book of Acts, especially chapter 2 and chapter 4, They, they, both those chapters conclude with these people, these followers of Jesus, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship with one another. They're gathering in the temple, they're gathering in homes, they're pooling their resources, they're looking out to, for one another to the point where in the New Testament, like in the Old, it says there were no poor among them because they're looking out for one another. And the Bible says it was the Lord then that added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. And you can continue to read on. You read all the way to Revelation. Go to Revelation 18. Go to 19. Go to 21 and 22. And we find that it's this new community that Jesus, the bridegroom, refers to as his bride. And that's who he's coming back for. His bride. This thing that Scripture refers to as the church. And here's another thing about that community. Jesus says so many provocative things. One of the things he says about that new community that Jesus is coming back for, he said it's going to be so welcoming. It's going to be so family-like that marriage as we know it now won't be something that's even, I don't even want to use his words. I want to use his words, not mine. It, it, it's, um, we won't be married, given in marriage. Um, it's just, it, it stretches your brain. Well, as you wait for that day, we have the opportunity to give the world a sneak preview of what's to come. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. Every age has its challenges and its opportunities. And we as a church family, we are able to come alongside one another to help with the challenges and help with the opportunities that are unique to each age. I came across one of those BuzzFeed articles not too long ago. And I think the timing was really good because the question they asked was, what's hardest about your current age? What's hardest about your current age? And maybe some of these responses are going to give you a glimpse into the people sitting next to you. Listen to some of these. Age 16. Everyone expects you to act like an adult but treats you like a Can anyone relate to that? Anyone ever experienced that? How about this one? Age 19, I have no idea what to do with my life. Right around this age, there's often so much pressure to feel like i got to figure everything out and what's next. And that can be really, really hard when you don't have a sense of what that is. Age 23, if you're a female, you're expected to have a partner and are questioned if you don't. And unfortunately, sometimes that gets amplified in churches. How about this? Also, age 23, empty wallet, no house, still living at home, trying desperately to find affordable homes for sale. Parentheses, non-existent. You know, I find myself not making jokes anymore about the whole living in the basement thing because I tell you, I-, I could not have afforded a house in today's market. It is really, really, really hard. Age 26, constant anxious state of being. Feel like you've done nothing and everyone around you is doing more. Our nation has never felt levels of anxiety like people are feeling today. This is the state for so many people, especially young adults right now. Age 34, you're just old enough to start thinking about getting old and no longer feeling young. Pastor Dan kind of brought something like this up in his last message. If you remember that. And I'll tell you this. The closer you get to your 40s and beyond, the more you move deeper and deeper to what are called the sandwich years. We're going to actually talk about this in this series. Where many people begin to find now, I'm in that age where I'm, I'm caring for kids, but I'm also caring for my aging parents. And here's another quote that actually speaks to that. Age 44. Just went through the worst year of my life yet, lost my dad, mental health declined due to my mother's declining Alzheimer's, and then losing my job after not losing or dealing with this well. Not only as you're getting older do you start to feel the weight of all of that, around this age you also start to notice your body can't do what it used to do. Oh, Gary, I think we all running on 96 today? I saw you out there. You're, you're, man. You're going. You're going. But for a lot of people, like here, age forty-seven, I had to give up a few sports that I can no longer play safely. Here's one of the things too. The older you get, falls. Falls can have a huge impact. They can be fatal. It's. I wasn't even. I wasn't thinking about Bob here. They, they become increasingly dangerous. Oh, man, see, we got object lessons right here for all this. Age 55, we've experienced so much change in our lifetime. We were here when there were no remote controls. There were no cell phones, no home computers, etc. To be honest, I kind of miss the days before technology. Can any of my 50-something peers or those who are a little older, can you relate to a lot of that, right? Age 57, how about this one? I'm 13 years from 70. <sighs> Parents are gone. Cousins are all in their mid 60s. For those of you who are younger, try to imagine what that'd be like. To every year start to recognize I'm losing more and more of my friends, I'm losing more and more of my family members. This next one's a heart wrencher. Age 58. Hard to be single again. Imagine that. You felt like you found your person and then you no longer have that role in your life. We got one more. Age 71. My body is beginning. It's inevitable to slow down. Not happy. Not happy. Another one of the reasons why we're doing this series um, we traced to Dr. Dave. Uh, he alerted me to that too. He, he, he follows so many trends and stats. And he was doing looking at the stats for our area. He said Shoreview, where, where we meet on Sundays, Shoreview's getting older. Shoreview's getting older. There is a growing mission field, growing mission field among those who are in the later stages of life. Why do I say mission field? Do you know The suicide rate that's the highest in the United States, it's not teenagers. It's 85 and older. 85 and older, highest suicide rate. You know what the second highest suicide rate is? 75 to 84. Aging can be really, really hard. And a lot of people who are aging, they're suffering in silence. Imagine losing your independence. Independence. Imagine each year feeling like you're becoming more and more dependent like you were when you were a child. Imagine that. Imagine your eyesight failing. And then this one, I sat down with with one of the guys at our our church, Rob, and um, he was just opening my eyes because he does a lot with senior um, populations. He said, hearing, losing your hearing can even be worse in a lot of ways because you feel so isolated. And then there's the mind getting harder and harder to remember things. There's the fluctuations between clarity and confusion that come with dementia. And then there's Alzheimer's, which damages the brain itself. Which is why the vision that Jesus cast is so beautiful. Because as you remember, on the cross, one of the last things Jesus said, he looks down from the cross, he looks at his mom, and he says, Behold your son, referring to the Apostle John. Mom, he's going to look out for you. He says to John, Behold your mother. John, look out for my mom. Isn't that both powerful and beautiful at the same time, this vision that Jesus is casting? What if more and more of us took a step towards that vision? we're there for one another, looking out at each one of these stages, each one of these ages. What if, like we see in the book of Acts, we began to reorganize our lives around this extended family of faith, gathering for services like this, like we're doing right now, to worship together, open our Bibles together, and then to help with the spiritual discipleship of one another's kids, but also gathering in homes, coffee shops, on walks, sharing meals, helping out with projects. Now, To be clear, before we start getting idealistic notions in our head, it's hard. There's a reason why none of these models work perfectly. It's hard. It's messy. In fact, idealism, idealism can be a community killer. This is a quote from a man who laid down his life for his faith, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says this, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself, become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions may be ever so often honest, earnest, and sacrificial, God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law, and they judge one another and God accordingly. I mentioned that I'd come back to Liz Bohannon before we closed. She is a very successful person by the world standards. She's a CEO. She's an author, influencer, podcaster. She's also a wife and mother. If anyone could afford to do the whole, we're going to isolate and outsource, it's her. Instead, She's one of these people trying to figure out how do we live more intentionally together? What she and several people did is they bought several houses side by side. They got one backyard. The fence goes around all their backyard. And they're trying to do more life together. And she says, it's hard. It's especially hard with a personality like her. She's got strong opinions. She doesn't like to ask for help. Can anyone relate to any of those things? But she says, hey, there's a reason why for most of human history around most of the world, people are trying to do this. And she said, it's going to require us to do things like this. Be willing to go first. It's hard to be vulnerable, but you got to do it if you want to build this community. She says, you got to remember, you're going to have to pay your dues. Real community doesn't just happen. You can't just show up and like, hey, let's all be best friends. Let's all share our deepest secrets with one another. Let's all let ourselves open up our lives to all the mess that's going on. That doesn't just happen overnight. And she also says this, you're never going to find or be the perfect friend. And so you got to give yourself grace. You got to give other people grace. Be a better listener. Be a kinder, more caring person. I like that idea. Next steps. Next steps. And Emmanuel, we're all about the next steps. Even small steps add up over time, don't they? Even small steps add up over time. So what's yours? As we start this brand new ministry season, as we enter into this series now, we're going to be looking at the, the challenges and opportunities of every age and how we can be there for each other. What's your next step? How can you help us build the community that we want to be a part of? All of us. Here's some ideas. Number one, for those of you watching online and who are able to attend, be our guest. Come, join us, give us, a, give us a shot and come and try to get to know us better and for us to get to know you. If you've been attending, your next step might be to find your people. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Go to Fall. We got a list of groups and activities of things we're offering. If you're not sure where to start, go to Next. Fill out that online connection card. Say, hey, Katie. Katie is our connections lead. Hey, Katie, I'd love to get more connected. Can we talk? For some of you, your next step might be to join a team. Now, you're going to notice that we put bullets bullets here and not numbers because these don't have to go in this order. For a lot of people, they found their people by first joining a team. It, 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 It can work in all kinds of orders. All right. If you've been here for a while, here's a step you might want to consider. Explore membership. What does it mean to enter into a covenant with one another? We have our next membership event, Monday, October 30th. You could go right now, Fall. find the Explore membership uh, box and click that. And here's one more way that you can help us build this community that we all want to be a part of. That is to invite and welcome guests. Bringing it full circle. Now, I was going to say... That this was something that you could do if you're already connected. If you're already connected, hey, look for new people to welcome, invite somebody. This is for all of us. Because think about this. You don't know somebody, they don't, you know, you know someone who's not yet going to church, invite them, now you know somebody. Right? It's built in. And if you're new, someone else is new, great chance for you to get to know some people too. So this is for everyone, that last one as well. Again, there's gonna be a real cost to community. It takes an investment on our part. But it's worth it. And that brings us to our last talk point, this one. We are better together. Does that sound familiar from the last series? In Espanol, es, juntos es mejor. Very good for someone who fell down and knocked his head. That was really good. But it was in Mexico, so. Those are the memories that come back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it would be, together is better. It would be so much easier It'd be so much easier. Just find a bunch of people that think like you do that are your age and then just grow old together as a church. That's a lot easier than trying to do intergenerational. whole lot easier. But it's not better. And I, you know, as we close, I can't help but think of the baptism service that we just did. Jesus said, what, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. This outdoor baptism service that we just had, I love it. I love it that we are baptizing kids as young as 10 and then some others all the way up to not. 10 anymore. It's easier to do things in isolation. It's easier to do things with one age group. It's easier to do things with everyone who already sees things the way you do. But it's not better. It's not better. So let's press into these challenges over the next few weeks together of each age. Let's talk about what we can do to help one another, support one another. And let's ask as a church family, how can we do that? Well, let's pray, and then we're going to introduce many of you. This is going to be a new song. Um, we're going to introduce you to a song that we'll probably sing more than once throughout this series. It talks about how we've got one God for all of us as a, as a family. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you don't invite us to easier. You invite us into better. And we pray that throughout this series, you're going to help us to really either remember what it was like to go through an age, or if we haven't been there yet, to be able to just imagine what it could be like. So that we can have that empathy for one another and we can be even, come even more inspired than we are now. To be there encouraging, supporting each other through the good times and the bad. We pray this in Jesus name and all God's people said.